The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration from leaders who are making their visions happen and will set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner. Good morning and welcome once again to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. I'm Kate Ebner and last week on the show, Betty George and I tackled the question, what do you do when life doesn't go as you planned? And we were talking about that, of course, in the context of setting an intention for the new year. But this week, we're going to revisit the question in a completely different way. I'm going to be talking with my guest today, Martha Johnson, about her life, her career, and what she learned as the former administrator of the General Services Administration. The GSA is the government agency that manages and supports the functioning of all of the other government agencies, and Martha served as the administrator of the GSA for President Obama until a scandal over an internal training conference in Las Vegas compelled her to abandon the changes she was pursuing as a leader inside the agency and step down. Far from shrinking away from the public eye, Martha has shared her lessons with all of us in a best-selling book. Her book is called On My Watch, Leadership, Innovation, and Personal Resilience. It's an outstanding book to read and to learn from, and I'm very pleased to welcome Martha to the show this morning. Good morning, Martha. Well, good morning to you. Thank you for inviting me to be on, Kate. Well, I, I have been reading your book, Martha, and thinking about your experiences and um felt like every chapter was worth its weight in gold. So I really do hope people who are listening today will um, will go ahead and grab a copy of On My Watch. But I know there was a whole lot that you did uh, before you became the GSA administrator and then lived to tell the tale. So I wondered if you could start us off with a little bit of background about your life and career, just to give our listeners a sense of who you are. Well, thank you. And thank you for the weight in gold comment about the chapters. I tried to make it a book that was readable, that's for sure. Um, my career uh, is uh, uh, quite complex, actually. I was lucky uh, in so many ways uh, to be raised in a family that was uh, dedicated to service. My father was a minister. My mother was a school teacher. We had that sort of ethic in our family. So I went to college and graduate school trying to figure out how I could join an institution and make a contribution. Uh, I never thought about being entrepreneurial. I thought about um, being collegial and uh, participating in supporting an institution. That was a big idea for me as a young person. Um, and I, I was interested in breaking away from the family tradition, so I went to business school uh, uh, with the idea uh, at the school I attended at Yale that there is a lot to be learned about learning about institutions, both public and private, that connect to each other. 
And then subsequently, uh, I went to work first at Cummins Engine Company at a very pivotal time in that uh, that uh, corporation's uh, life. We were switching into a total quality uh, way of manufacturing, which was a very big change. It, it was really a revolutionary change for industry in those decades, and I was part of that. Then I did some other things, more service organizations, um, uh, an executive search firm and consulting firms, when I was having children. Uh, it gave me a little bit more flexibility than working an assembly line, uh, managing factory uh, circumstances. And then I was incredibly lucky to be uh, tapped to join the Clinton administration, and I was in the Clinton administration for eight years, then left that uh, uh, public sector opportunity and went uh, back into the private sector, worked for a couple of corporations, an IT corporation, computer uh, sciences corporation. Uh, I worked in a consulting firm that consulted to the government. And then was lucky and just really, really privileged and honored to be asked to be the administrator of GSA. So I returned to government. Uh, so I was following the original plan I had that I needed to move between uh, institutions and uh, sectors, actually. So my time at GSA as the administrator actually uh, was an opportunity to bring all of those experiences forward, uh, IT, manufacturing, big organizational management, and so forth. So... With that, I then, uh, as you said, uh, stepped down a couple of years later, and now I'm embarking on the entrepreneurial side of life that I avoided early on and am writing and consulting and uh, speaking and uh, on my own. It's really exciting. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I'd love to hear how your career unfolded because, and, and your philosophy uh, because I think that um, these days, you know, here at Nebo, we do a fair amount of work helping people develop career vision, and mm-hmm. it's just not a linear path anymore. So to hear the true story of someone who's um, who moved from sector to sector, from a variety of roles, and to see how that kind of um, prepares you in a way for some really exciting and interesting leadership challenges is really, really helpful, I'm sure, for people. Um, so I know that you started that job um, in, in, at the GSA in February of 2010, and I'm curious about, you know, as you entered that position, I mean, you were, you were appointed, you waited a long time to get the approval uh, and, and to be sworn in. You stepped into the role finally um, in February of 2010. What would you say your leadership philosophy was at the, the time that you stepped into that role? Uh, the very first thing I should frame that with is I was returning to GSA. When I was in the Clinton administration, I had been chief of staff there for five years. That meant that I was right next to and serving the previous administrator, the previous democratically appointed administrator, and that gave me a huge understanding of the organization that political appointees don't always have. I knew people there. I knew the programs. I knew the jargon. I knew uh, so much more than, uh, than uh, otherwise, and that was just tremendous for me. So when I stepped in, I would say that my philosophy was uh, strategic. First of all, strategic. Sort of know what you're doing. Have a sense of the big picture that you're heading into. And of course, that's difficult when you're learning what's going on and what options you have. So I was able to jump into a more strategic frame right away. I also am keen, very keen on the idea that organizations have to learn and evolve. And so I would put that up there in the top five things that I paid attention to in my philosophy, how I could learn, how I could model learning, how I was challenging the organization to learn. But they needed to do it within a strategic direction. They needed to know where they were going. So my responsibility was to set that. I also believe very much in collaboration, 
you know, I, I, I work better when I'm with other people, and I know that problems are solved best when you bring a whole team of people together and bring all their ideas and thoughts. So collaboration is right up there in my philosophy. People, we need, we need to figure out how to draw the best of everyone, put that together, cook it, and, um, and move forward. So it's, um, uh, uh, those kinds of things were very important. And, and obviously derivatives of that are uh, very important to um, find the right people, to in- create environments for them in which they can work well, where they can learn and collaborate. It's very important to communicate your strategies. So there are a lot of classic leadership um, techniques and tools and, uh, and, and roles uh, that I think derive from being strategic, uh, focusing on learning mm-hmm. and collaboration. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it, it's, um, it, you know it's, it, it's clear that you, you went into the GSA knowing the organization, understanding, it sounds like, the role and what was needed and with a very strategic view. And I know that, um, you know, you were, uh, you were sort of ready to go and already moving with innovation and the kind of institutional change that you're describing or in organizations really need. And so that was all happening. And, you know, for, for those who are, um, who are listening and who may not be familiar with your story, can you just give us um, real quickly sort of what, what happened? What happened and, and why did you um, stay such a short time? I was there for two years, and uh, during that time, we were embarked on some very big strategic um, uh, re-settings for GSA. GSA has always, I think in some ways, suffered from being kind of the downstairs staff. I just watched Downton Abbey last night. And, uh, you know, they take care of the infrastructure and the charge cards and the travel and the real estate and so on. They're not in the front line of, um, of the programmatic uh, work of the government, but they are right behind it. And so I was, I was really excited about how to help uh, GSA become even more innovative because if GSA could do it, the whole entire government could do it. And so we were, we were on quite a roll, and, and, uh, and that was, I think, uh, a very special and creative time. Nevertheless, when you're on top of a massive and very complex organization, as I say in my book, you're always leading in the dark to some extent because you can't know everything that's going on. You mm-hmm. can't absorb it. You're one person. There was a training conference held in Las Vegas uh, in 2010, the first year I was there. It had been planned even before I had arrived. Uh, and uh, the inspector general uh, looked into it at the request of my deputy because she had some questions about it uh, after the fact, and uh, his report, when it was finally issued, which was uh, 15 or so months later, uh, indicated that there had been some contracting uh, questions, there were some concerns about who was making some of the decisions with regard to the, the training materials and um, activities. And it was uh, a report that was um, coming out at the beginning of the uh, presidential election year. It was in April uh, 2012. I've got to keep all these dates straight. And uh, one, so there were a number of things that kind of came together at the same time. One is it was, um, it was internal. And it had really difficult optics. Um, Las Vegas is Las Vegas, and uh, that provided all kinds of story around it. Uh, there was also the problem of technology these days. Uh, there were some skits and so on that were um, made during the conference that, of course, went right up on the Internet. 
And so uh, it became um, a public relations sort of um, uh, problem. Well, it became a public relations problem. I don't want to mince my words. The, the, the clincher for me was that GSA, because we were, as I said, the background for all the government, we set, uh, GSA sets contracting rules and it, it enforces a lot of contracts and creates them. And if we uh, weren't functioning impec- <coughs> excuse me, impeccably, uh, it was um, uh, an even greater uh, error than um, I think anywhere else in the government. We needed to be uh, uh, above uh, above repute, uh, repute in that. And so yes. there were a combination of things, trust in government, uh, the positioning of GSA, the political um, optics of it. It just, in that sense, it was a perfect storm. It sounds like it was, you know, and we're going to actually take a break right now. And when we come back, I know that one of the things you write about in your book and that I was very interested to read is about accountability mm-hmm. and about, um, you know, what happens when leading a large organization or probably any organization and things go wrong and there's a real, um, you know, as you said, a very public um view and the need for accountability and you know I, I like how you've written about that and I hope we can talk a little bit about it when we come back um, it's time for our first break and I'm Kate Ebner my guest this week is leadership writer and speaker Martha Johnson we'll be right back Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. What does conscious leadership mean to you? It unites organizations instead of dividing them. By exploring commonly-based business challenges, it guarantees an increase in your bottom line. Tune in to Minding Our Business, Creating a Spiritual Economy, with your host, Nadine Rogers. Each week, we'll hear from business leaders and learn from their strategies. We'll talk about personal and organizational best practices that you can learn from, and we'll hear from you. Minding Our Business airs live Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business.
stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back. This is Kate. Each week, I like to introduce you to leaders who we hope will inspire you to be visionary in your own life, or perhaps will have an experience, something extraordinary that might be valuable to you as you're thinking about the challenges and the aspirations that you actually are working with as a leader, not only in the organizational life, but in your own life. So I hope you'll keep up to date with news of our upcoming guests and our episode recaps by subscribing to our weekly Visionary Leader newsletter. You can just do that at Nebo company.com. Today, I'm very pleased to be here with Martha Johnson, who in addition to being the former administrator of the General Services Administration, or GSA, is the author of a novel and a book about the leadership lessons learned during the turbulent time in her government service. Before the break, Martha and I were talking about what happened. And you know, Martha, we were. I, I wanted to get into this conversation about accountability because I think that it's... Um, it's such an important part of your story, and I think there's such a, there's a lot of integrity in the way that you um, held yourself and your organization accountable. Uh, I'd love to start with the question of, um, you know, how can a leader? Did you see it coming? You know, how can a leader prepare to handle a crisis, regardless of the details? And what if you have been in the dark? You know, what then? I have to say, honestly, I did not see it coming. I certainly knew the Inspector General was doing a review, um, but we got Inspector General reports about a number of things. You know, they, this was not the only thing he was working on by any means. And there were other issues that had been raised and we had dealt with. So this was, this, uh, this, the timing of it and the sort of perfect storm of it, all of it came together for me um, uh, in a way that was a, an absolute surprise. I will, I will say that. And in some ways, you know, you can relive these things and say, why didn't I figure this out? Why wasn't I looking under every rock? Why wasn't I, what was I doing that was defensive posturing or whatever? But um, I think that, I think that that's not the right question. I, I, it's not what I would have done differently. It's how I would have thought differently um, before and after. And uh, in that sense, I think I would have still trusted the organization because I believe a leader has to trust the organization, but I would have simply been more aware of what could happen <clears throat> and had a um, perhaps a more uh, sense of realism about it can happen to you, it can happen to anybody, and uh, I would have thought about uh, how... I was trusting the organization, and I think I would have appreciated even more how much that's a gift to an organization. I don't know if that's completely clear, but you can, mm-hmm. you can be a leader mm-hmm. and just be suspicious, and that's not going to get you anywhere. Um, you need to trust, because that's the only way you can start to collaborate and be working with the people of the organization. So you have to do that, 
but it comes at a risk, and that needs to be a calculated risk. And uh, uh, so I understand that calculation better, I think, is the best way to yeah. explain it. Well, I, I, it's really interesting, that balance between sort of, you know, I guess, um, idealistic trust versus a more um, calculated understanding the, understanding the calculations of trust when you're a new leader in an organization. You write about this theme, one of your chapter's headings is called Leading in the Dark, as you mentioned earlier. And you talk about the way that these days leaders, especially of large organizations, large institutions like government institutions, are um, leading uh, blind in, in a way, in part because there's just a massive amount of information and people do bring you briefings and you do stay up to speed and you have all the right meetings and you're being given information all the time and yet there are many things you just can't know about, um, things that either people don't think you need to know or perhaps that... Um, seem relatively minor compared to the other things crossing your desk. So there's this, this, um, so I want to throw that into the conversation because you're talking about, um, you know, extending trust throughout the organization. And I think as a new leader, uh, also, also something here too about maybe learning to navigate in the dark a bit. Mm-hmm. Well, leading in the dark is the reality, and I think that there is um, a difficulty in a leadership style that is t- tightly controlling. If you're trying to control and know everything, people are going to sense that, and they're going to sense that you don't trust them, and therefore they're going to quit doing their job because they're going to say, well, she'll do the work instead. She'll read all the details and so on. And that's just not a formula for success at all. It's a formula for exhaustion and, mm-hmm. and, and tight management. So you do have to trust people. Now, I think what you have to do is create a culture of openness so that you will create the odds that if something bad is happening, you will hear about it. I think that's the biggest problem. It's not that you need to know everything, but you need to know the problems. And too many leaders only want the happy talk or um, they, uh, they're they critical of their organizations in a way that um, dampens down the organization. So I think the work of a leader is not to try to know everything, but to create an atmosphere in which if something is bad, don't make me the last person to know it. And so mm-hmm. I would do that in a lot of different ways. Like I always said, yell up, not down. I would rather you come in and yell at me than turn around and yell at your organization. Yell up, tell me what's bad, and I will do everything I can to work with you around that. Don't be afraid of that as the leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it is that culture that is so critical. Then, then it's luck and timing, as is everything in life, whether or not you will get what you need to know to continue to be able to stay above the waves. And, yeah. uh, and that's just the fundamental risk. It's not a pretty job. Leadership is not a job for the faint-hearted. Mm-hmm. If you want all the glamour and the attention, you have to take into account that it's coming at a price. And the price is that you are uh, working in that risky kind of a way, and you have to trust yourself. You have to trust people. You have to read people well. And so on. At any rate, you get the point. Um, I, I do, I do, and I want to jump in and and, and say that you know you started off um, in the in this segment by saying that you know as a leader you needed to trust the organization, you needed to trust the people, and that um, that the, the I think I, what I hear you saying is you can't know everything, you never will. So you have to create a culture where where transparency and yelling up 
are the the way that people um, operate, and there's a great a great deal of openness and a sharing of problems rather than a, a hiding or a, a managing down of problems. Um, and, and so, as I'm as I'm hearing you say that, you know, there's a leap of faith. It seems to me in uh, communicating trust while at the same time. Uh, staying vigilant, if you will, about what's really happening and and what really needs your attention, and and I'm curious, you know, having lived through what you have, um, what's your advice to someone who's struggling with this same challenge? I I'm not sure I have. Um, well, well, I can only really share my own experience, and I will say I would not do anything different. Uh, the um, decisions I made. Uh, in office, I was making under, you know, a tremendously crushed schedule, you know, the, just the sheer getting through of the day, the operational uh, pressures means that you have to trust yourself as well. And I think one of the biggest problems people have is getting out of their own way, uh, their own anxieties, their own doubts, their own needs to control, and to um, allow themselves to be their best to be their human best, and to work hard. You just work hard, stay as healthy as you can, and be your best. And, and that's, that's the formula you have to reach for. Um, it's not, never easy. Uh, you, can, mm-hmm. you can get really mm-hmm. paranoid in office, and you can get totally exhausted so that you are at a place where anything you hear sounds, you know, sounds difficult. Um, it's about constantly having a, taking very deep breaths, about uh, relying on yourself, knowing that you're a capable person, you're there for a reason, and um, and owning up to your mistakes as quickly and as honestly as you can to yourself and uh, correcting them. So there is a lot of day-by-day self-management of just talking to yourself, being kind to yourself, and trying not to be superhuman but being your best. And I think that, you know, we, we, I have a humanist, maybe I should have said this earlier, I have a humanist philosophy about this. We are people first, and we're not machines. And until you can be a real person, the, the organization won't, won't really understand what you're doing and what you're saying. You have to be real, and so you have to do that. Your own, you have to do your own work, be self-aware. If there's anything a leader should be, it's self-aware. See what yeah. you are and what you're doing. Yeah, well, you know, you're, you're hitting on some very important points, and I think we have, believe it or not, another break coming up already, okay. so we're going to take that in just a minute. But I wanted to just um, ask you, you know, what was it like, given all of the innovation, all the plans you really had for the GSA and the things you were driving, you had a lot of momentum happening um, in a positive direction at the time that that scandal happened. And you ended up having to make the decision to step down. And um, and I say having to make the decision, but, but I think that that was a decision that you made. And I, I'm curious, and we have just a very short amount of time, maybe 30 seconds. What was it like for you to come to that conclusion? Can you just tell us about it? I think it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, and um, in many ways, it left me in a state of mourning. Um, I had to kill something in myself, you know, something that had been a real opportunity and a dream. And uh, I think mourning is the best way to uh, to describe the aftermath. It's what I actually said in my congressional testimony. I'll mourn the loss of that job, and I had to think that through and understand that before, but I really didn't until after it was over, and then I had to go through all those stages of grief. 
you know, I think that's um, that's that's probably going to be very helpful to a number of people who are listening. And I will I will also say that the courage that it takes to come to us and share that experience and let others learn from it is uh, really quite remarkable. So I want to say to you that um, again, a leader with a vision, with a plan, with a lot of momentum, who you know has this experience of a, a scandal that you had. You had relatively little to do with it, and yet accountability for ultimately the decision you made to step down, um, and then to live with that decision and learn from it. So, very um, a remarkable story. We're going to take another break. You're listening right now to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. This is Kate Ebner. My guest today is Martha Johnson, and we'll be right back. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Hello again, and thank you for being with us today on Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. I'm talking with Martha Johnson, former GSA administrator with over 30 years of experience in business and government, who's shared with us some of the most important lessons she's learned through her career in a best-selling book called On My Watch, Leadership, Innovation, and Personal Resilience. And I want to start off this segment, Martha, by talking about that last part, Martha, Martha that's personal resilience. And, you know, the, that's probably a synonym for you in some ways these days. Um, curious to learn what you've learned about yourself, especially in the days and the weeks that followed your resignation from the GSA? 
Uh, there's, yes, where do I start? You know, um, I think that <clears throat> one of the things I learned was that I was so open to learning. I had not really appreciated that I could turn on a dime and begin to say, what is this? What is this about? What is this about? But I think that's kind of my analytical style. It's just I had to understand it. So I, um, uh, initially, it's just an emotional thing. You just are sort of slammed, and you've got to let that happen. Um, I think I stuffed my anger for a long time, and I just uh, was sad. But um, basically, it is a very emotional experience, and, you, and, and I think a person needs to uh, allow that, understand that. Uh, in in the book, I, I uh, was when I was working on the book, I had a friend who was reading it and giving me some thoughts, and he said, "You have to talk about your crucible moments." And what that means is, it's a wonderful concept. It's about what did this crucible teach you? What did you come from this experience with? And I list a number of them. One of them is that I learned to, that I was stronger than maybe I thought. I, I learned something about my own strengths. And interestingly, what that did for me was it made me turn around and say to myself, I don't need to take care of people so much. They're strong too. And uh, I have to say that um, that, was, uh, that was a little bit of an important message to me. Um, I've been a mo- I'm a mother, and for 25 years, more than 25 years, you know, my kids are in their 20s, I have thought about being a parent in some respects as part of who I am. So I think about taking care of people. And I think this experience gave me a little bit more of a backbone and a little bit of more toughness and a little bit more of an ability to expect things from people, which I think is a good thing. It's, uh, it's about inviting people um, to the table in a different way. One other thing, I, mean, I can go on and on, but let me just give you one other idea. Uh, I also, right after I left office, what I did besides... Uh, hanging out with friends and kind of being overwhelmed by all of the response. And there was a lot of really wonderful support um, and spending some time cleaning my house and getting a little bit healthier and learning to swim. I wrote a novel. You mentioned it just briefly earlier. And I had been working on a novel. It's a long story. But I finished it and I published it. And that taught me so many things. But one of the things it particularly taught me was that when you are slammed, when something happens that just devastates you and takes it out of you, you uh, by doing something creative, you're making mm-hmm. a statement back that you, you can generate still. You can create something new. And I think the best advice is do something creative right away. It starts mm. to reignite your flame and your spark and your ideas and your emotions in a positive direction. So those wow. would be a couple of comments I can make real fast. Well, those are wonderful, wonderful ideas. And I love what you just said about creativity as the cure uh, when, when sort of working on recovering from something, something difficult, something that you're mourning and, um, you know, in a way reminding yourself that you're capable of creating, that you're forward looking, um, moving yourself as we would look at it from a coaching perspective. We'd say, you know, let's shift your attention from the past into the future and the present, you know, and that's what creating really does. Um, that's a real, that's a, a great uh, piece of advice. Um, 
You mentioned. It's not a big, it doesn't have to be a big thing. I had an interview with a woman in Australia recently who said that she had a crisis, and uh, I even blogged about this. She said she had a crisis, and I think it was more of a personal one, and she said, so I started decorating cakes, and she said it turned into a business for her, and she said, you're right, being creative was the best thing that ever happened to me, and I thought that was just a great analogy. You don't have to write a whole novel the way I was sort of obsessively doing Start decorating the cake, and it can take you places. So, yes. Well, there you go. <laughs> I love that. That's that's a great a great example. It was great. I loved it. You know, you um, you mentioned earlier that you know this uh, idea that it, it's not what would I do differently, but how would I think differently? Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, you know, as you processed what happened. And, you know, you, you were working on resilience. You know, what did you, what, what shifted in you? How are you different now than before? Uh, I am in many ways. One way that, that is a little bit prosaic to my kids anyway is that I learned um, to sort of get over my anxieties as a 61-year-old about social media. I know this is very prosaic, but... Uh, uh, you know, people my age stand around with their glasses of wine at parties and talk about, oh, I don't know about this Facebook thing. Everybody's invading my privacy and, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, this 10 minutes of fame that I experienced sort of put me through uh, a bit of a knothole. And on the other side, I was, I was sort of freed from that. And, and it was, it was a, a funny kind of a thing, but in some ways it just sort of stripped away some of these sort of foolish anxieties I'd had earlier about sharing, about sharing not the breakfast I just ate or, you know, what my, the pictures of my dog looks like when he's wearing sunglasses, but it's sharing, really sharing about what's going on. Uh, and I think that helped me a lot as I wrote the book in saying, I want to talk about real stuff here, uh, and I have the channels and the audience uh, that someone would not have had, you know, 20 years ago. So that was one of the real, that was one of the real events out of that for me. Um, so I'll start with that. Well, that's, that's a great, that's a great um, example. And once again, I mean, for those of us who are listening to you today, just. Um, you know, moving towards something that you um, may not have had the time or the inclination to in, in the past. You know, you can hear the resilience in how you were looking at things, like what, you know, deciding to learn, embracing embracing the, the, the present times, you know, deciding not, you know, not to look backward. You know, I really hear that in you, Martha. No, well, thank um, you. You know, you had mentioned, I, I mentioned earlier that I sort of stuffed my anger for a while. And I think that one of the things that I did, um, that did emerge when I was sort of ready to address the anger, you know, anger is really messy. You really don't want to be doing that when you're in front of Congress or something. You want to just sort of put it in a place where it'll work for you, not, not get you into more trouble. But the, the anger turned in some ways to a sort of a, uh, determination was like drat. I need to. I need to. This needs to get into a new place. And it gave me some real energy towards um, uh, taking on some of these projects. I mean, I think you can get very listless. I think you can sort of feel as if you just don't have any energy. But my uh, anger, I think, was a little bit of the story of what sort of generated some momentum for me. I was like, whoa, we're not going to stop here. We're going we're gonna to battle back a bit. Um, hmm. So there, there's, there's emotional 
there, there are emotional things going on, and actually when you're in the middle of them, you have no clue what it is. You have to keep watching and monitoring and having friends tell you, but it's, it, it, as you go through it, you look back and go, oh, okay, so I was, that's what I was doing. Um, I as see. I said I earlier, see. being self-aware is pretty important. It's so important, you know, and, and I'm glad you brought up, you know, I, this, I originally was sort of stuffing my anger, and then you know, the anger sort of became catalytic. And I want to just ask you, you know, and, you know, the, I guess what I'm asking you is you describe mourning, you describe stuffing your anger, then you describe kind of letting it come out and be sort of catalytic. I am sometimes concerned when people I'm working with move too quickly, trying to make lemonade out of a lemon, you know, move too quickly from the the feelings and the impact of what has happened into sort of a fast-moving new success story. And I'm curious what your thoughts are about how to handle the period where you're making sense of it and feeling mourning or feeling anger. Like, do you, what's your advice around how to allow yourself to go through that? Oh, boy. I, uh, my advice um, is, um, uh, again, it's a little bit of that self-awareness piece. It will not be a straight line. And, in fact, I'm one of these really cheerful people, and people talk about my rose-colored glasses and my energy and all that, all that happy stuff. And, uh, and it's kind of in my nature, sort of core to my energy. I get up in the morning, and it's like, let's take on the day. Um, but I think that the the um, the the, the, the the problem is that nothing goes straight. So you might get up in the morning and um, be real cheerful, and then you crash pretty hard because you can't sustain it. So in some ways, people who are out to make lemonade out of lemons, um, uh, can they're, they're sort of accelerating the process because they won't be able to sustain that too long. And it might just be the way in which it um, hits, hits, uh, hits a, it gets to a, gets to that catalytic, uh, um, uh, you know, point faster. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that there is a, there's certainly no good or bad way to do it. But I I will say that there is, there is certainly um, a a punch and a punch back. Uh, If you come at it positively, it'll punch you back. If you go at it, you know, with all your anger, um, uh, you might release it quickly, but you know, who knows how that will play out. I, I think it's each person's, each person's journey. And mm-hmm. for the people around them, it's for um, giving people as clear a set of signals as you can and giving them space and, uh, and for a person to continue to, you know, sort of hang in. Loyalty is very important. I had enormously important friends, but I also had a sister who finally said to me, Martha, there's an elephant in the middle of the room. You better deal with that anger a little bit, and uh, and having people that can can nudge you along like that, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's very messy. <laughs> it's very messy, and it takes time. And you know, probably the farther you get from it, the more the more uh, perspective and and um, of a view you'll actually have of of the experience and what it has meant for your life and. And so on, but I know that you're you're not alone. So many people do experience, um, you know, unexpected and sometimes devastating um, turns of events that you know leave you kind of um, yeah. not at all where you expected to be. Um, so as we're talking about resilience, we've, we've we're going to come back on our last segment, and I think we're going to really um, really think about the the 
the lessons that you've learned, but the wisdom, the, the last two chapters of your book are really dedicated to your story of um, understand the self-awareness piece, learning resilience. And I'd like to come back to that, um, Martha. And I, th- I think your positivity is, um, is something that has really helped you kind of rebalance yourself, it sounds like. And, and yet, it's, I think it's been useful to hear you talk about anger, too, because I really firmly believe that we need to, we need to let ourselves feel what we're really yeah. feeling, especially at times like this. So mm-hmm. we'll be back in just a moment. This is Kate Ebner. My guest, Martha Johnson, and I are talking about um, what she's learned um, and her book, which we've also been talking about, called On My Watch, is an outstanding read if you want to learn more. We'll be right back. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still, nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies. But 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word Talk Radio to 96362. Listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back. Once again, this is Kate. I'm speaking with Martha Johnson about her personal and professional journey in the leadership ranks of government service and also about what happens to her and what happens to anyone who leaves a prestigious and highly public position um, with a a shadow. And Martha, you wrote in your book that when a leader leaves an organization, they need to get out of the way. I'm quoting you here. The next leaders cannot do their jobs if the reality of the ghosts of the previous leaders are hovering. And I want to just... Take a couple moments to talk about moving forward. How do you let go? How do you move forward? What do you think? 
I think that there's a lot to say about that, of course. Um, the, this, this notion that you need to get out of the way is pretty important and it can be pretty hard. I think anyone who prides themselves on how, how well they did their job or how seriously they took the job finds it difficult to step aside and move on out. But I, um, you know, early in my life, I wrote some, um, some things and thought very much about mentoring. And I was particularly thinking about it about women back in the 80s when mentoring was a a new hot topic. And it struck me that um, mentors don't come in the traditional Merlin Arthur sort of formula where there's an older man and there's a a split of time between the uh, protege and the mentor. Instead, there's, there's now a lot more blurring. Uh, but one of the things that is constant is that at some point, the protege needs to step out and step into her own shoes and show her own stuff. Um, and although you want to continue to get advice and so on, you need to, you know, fly with your own wings. And I think that leaders, um, we can we can get in the way of the next leader uh, if if you don't understand that um, they they have to have the space and the uh, the the um, you know the the arena. And uh, you're a you're you're a has been. Hate to say it, but you are. Uh, you're in the past. And uh, so it's a very, very important responsibility to move on and to find wow. another, another life. Uh, it's just crucial. I think we're looking at this more and more as people are thinking about retirement. It's, you know, what are you going to do next or who are you going to be? How much was your entire identity tied up with this particular position? And to get honest about that, um, it's a hugely difficult transition, but it's one we need to name and get on with. And yes, you do need to sever those ties. You need to get out of the way and let the next person work. And in the book, I also talk about the problems of social media are that the rules are changing. Uh, You know, I found that when I left, uh, even though I was no longer the administrator, I kept and I still do get invitations from people to to uh, friend me on LinkedIn or uh, you know on the, in the social in the social network. And for a while, I wasn't sure if I should accept. I just wasn't sure there was enough distance, and uh, and yet I wanted to continue to be effective and connected. And it was it's very hard to leave and have all that severed, and suddenly to have your community gone. So it's a mm-hmm. real balance, and we need to be. Uh, we just need to put that on the table a lot more. Transitions are not easy. Martha, you know, I want to t- dig into one little piece of what you said. You were, you you just said something about um, a few minutes ago about you know, kind of um, how much has your job shaped your identity? And I want to ask you, without that job, who is Martha Johnson? Well, without that job, who is Martha Johnson is um, uh, is always something I um, uh, want to be responsible about. Uh, it is one thing, especially in Washington, to go to Washington. Suddenly, you have a title and you have all this hoopla around you, and people literally call you Madam Administrator or the Honorable, and you're like, whoa. Um, uh, my, uh, I, I have been very lucky because my identity is, has not been shaped by just one trajectory and one career arena. Um, I have changed uh, roles many times, and I, uh, I think part of who I am is that I can be many things, sometimes perhaps too many things, but, uh, you know, I grew up in three parts of the country. Um, I, I I went to different schools. I was moved around as a child. So I, I think in some ways part of who I am is a little bit more 
of the nomad. I can shift and move, but when I settle, I put up my tent and put down the rugs and, and am open for business. So I have a little bit more of a sense of myself that I am flexible. Uh, that, that doesn't necessarily take care of all of the demands, but I can pick up and move. Underneath it, though, uh, is, that, is that creative notion, uh, and I, that was reinforced when I left office and tried to write and wrote the novel is that I have a lot to offer and even if I don't have an arena and a set up um, organization 13,000 people, there are still plenty of people who might be interested in my ideas and whether or not they are, I still have them and I'm going to write them and I'm going to nurture them and uh, they are going to continue to come. They just keep coming so I'm going to do that. So I think way deep inside me there is a little bit of my mother who was uh, an artist, a musician, and it's that you have a, I have an identity as a creator. So that's, that's, the, that's the short answer, believe it or not. <laughs> yes, you do have an identity as a creator, as somebody who's written a novel, who's um, making a quilt. You know, it's amazing to think about all that, the energy and creativity that, that's available um, to you and, and I think to each of us. And I'm glad you talked a bit about that a bit because I think we live in a world where often um, the position is the thing that seems to give shape to our our, our, our self-identity and to um, recognize in oneself that you are many, many, many things, that you have uh, ideas and that even if there's no audience um, immediately for what you're thinking or what you want to do, it doesn't really matter. It's yours. And that's a great starting point, I think, when giving people support for being resilient at times like this. It is um, yours. That is what it, you are. That's what you have. Yes. That's, that's, that's right. the right way to say it. And, and, you know, you, as you said it, you know, it occurred to the word self-confidence came to my mind, you know. It's a self-confident thing to say, but maybe it's also the wisdom of learning to, um, learning to value your own experience and your own, your own life um, beyond any particular accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. It, it is real. It is real to you. And what does it mean? What is the meaning under it? What's the meaning to you? And if you can begin to, un- if you can find a way of, of tracing through that, writing or quilting or cooking or, or talking about it or just um, uh, journaling, um, I go to writing a lot. I think that mm-hmm. makes it very clear. Uh, you begin to unpack that, and I think uh, the meaning of it is what um, you're in pursuit of. At least that's how I've felt it. What does this mean? <laughs> what is being told to me here? You know, answering those questions. Well, I just, I know we're at the end of our time, but oh. yeah, I'm, I'm actually energized, Martha, by our conversation today. I, f- I feel that um, you've shared so much that we can learn from, and, and I also think that your story is, is uh, you know, it's a fascinating story of leadership, of accountability. Um, your book is chock full of perspective and, and wisdom and advice that I think any any one of us could benefit from. I know you've written your novel, I believe it's called Rogue Wave, and it's coming out pretty soon. Is that right? Um, that's an, actually another leadership book I'm writing. The novel is in our midst, uh, but it's all under my name on Amazon. <laughs> okay, we'll have to look it up. Um, it's time for us to say goodbye, but I want to just conclude by saying thank you, Martha Johnson. It's just been a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you for all you've shared with us. Thank you, Kate. It was a delight. Have a great week, everyone.
We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 